Hi, I'm Nikki LaCroce, and you're listening to the Who the Fuck podcast. Inquisitive, authentic, unapologetic. A safe space for self-exploration, questioning the status quo, and finding out who the fuck you are. Hey gang, today we're recording the third episode of the Who the Fuck podcast. I'm here virtually with Jill Da Silva, my longtime friend and former media production partner from our college days at Quinnipiac University. I'm thrilled to have Jill here and for her to share what the fuck it's like to be a first-time mom who made the decision to stay at home with her two beautiful boys, Derek and Will. Welcome to the show, Jill, and do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, first of all. I'm really excited. Um, So I guess the big thing about me right now is, like you said, I'm a stay-at-home mom, um, which is a transition. I used to work uh, before I was a mom in the news. I was a director. And now I stay at home with my kids, and I play cars and superheroes all day. It's pretty much what I do. Uh, And I feel like those are my interests. They had to be. Um, I got really excited today when I was driving uh, to my parents' house, which is where I am right now, because I saw a quad axle low bed on the street. So, because those are my interests. I know trucks. I was going to say. I know say, cars. I have boys. What is <laughs> a quad axle low bed was where I was going to go. So, it's well, a truck. It is a very rare truck, apparently. They're not often on the road, and it is from my ABC construction book that my son loves. It is a Q. Q is for quad axle low bed, and it is a... <laughs> truck that has it carries construction equipment on a bed with four axles there you go pretty much what it is you're welcome world for this yeah. new fact now that you, you now needed. you know that's also some know. some advanced abcs by the way yeah before you became a mom as you mentioned you had a successful career as a director for a television news station did you feel that you were giving up a part of yourself by leaving your career or did you always know if and when you were going to be a mom, that you wanted to be able to stay at home with your kids? So I think in the moment of deciding to leave, I was super excited to be a mom and I couldn't really see myself in any other way of just, I wanted to be a mom, I didn't want to go back to my job, I wanted to stay at home and I felt very fortunate. But I think I'm now four years out of quitting my job and I think now I'm starting to not regret leaving, but I miss that like human contact with adults, um, human conversation. Uh, and, I, and I liked my job for what it was and I liked, um, like I directed the morning news, I live in Jersey, so that's where I was. Um, and I like breaking news, obviously it's always bad news, but it's the rush of doing that and pr- putting it on the air that I liked and I loved and I thrived in that. Um, So I do miss that, but I don't miss things that I would have missed. Um, Like in working in the news, I was on call on weekends. I got to work at 4 a.m. every morning, so I would have missed all the mornings with my kids. I would have missed, uh, now my older son Derek's in school, I would have missed school things, Christmas, you work holidays, like the news doesn't stop. So that's a really interesting point that you make. You had a career that wasn't even really a standard nine to five job. So you were giving up um well I hate to use that term honestly giving up because I think it's more of a trade-off right you you decided to prioritize your children over your career at this point in time and so because your career was not that standard nine to five corporate role there was actually a lot more potential for you to miss things going on with your children because you had to be up at like 3 a.m getting to work by 4 a.m and then honestly, probably feeling like you'd want to sleep during the day when you need to be awake with your kids when there's actual activities and things going on. So can you walk me through that a little bit, what that was like for you taking such a leap from this role in news and that fast paced world that you're describing and transitioning into being a parent and how that kind of rocked your world, I guess? I think for me, I was just so excited to be back on like you said, normal people hours. Like, I think I was talking to Derek and I was like, just when I went on maternity leave, because I did my maternity leave. Sorry, quick pause. Derek, your husband, correct? Yes, I have a husband, Derek. We can call him Big Derek. And then there's baby Derek. Okay, perfect. So we'll just make that distinction now. (laughs) So yeah, I was talking to Big Derek about it. And I was like, I'm just so excited because our first son, Derek, was born in September. And I was like, I can watch Giants football because I would go to bed every night at eight o'clock to go to work. Um, you miss the whole world, you know? You don't go out to dinner with your friends during the week. You don't do this, and you can make those sacrifices, but then you're not sleeping and you're driving into work at three, I'm exhausted. So I was just excited for those little things that I didn't really consider it in the initial leaving work. Um, but yeah, and then 
you know, to be honest, it was really hard in the first couple of months with Derek because he didn't sleep. Um, so I don't think I had time to sit and think about what I left in the very beginning because when you have a kid that doesn't sleep, you're exhausted. Yeah, I can totally understand that. Do you think that when you had Derek that you sort of immediately knew that this transition was going to happen? Was this something that you and Big Derek had talked about prior to, I mean, obviously it was something you spoke about prior to you having your first son, but even before you were pregnant, was that something that you had discussed as an option? Was it something you were both really interested in considering if it were a possibility? Yeah, we had talked about it and we basically decided we would take I got four and a half months off from work and we would take that time um, and see how we could financially do on just living on Derek's salary alone. He had just recently started a company a couple years prior. So in the beginning companies, when they start, it takes a little bit to really get going. Um, and it kind of just actually timed out well for us that when we took that four and a half months and looked at our finances and where we were, I was able to stay home, but we did talk about it. And I said, you know, if I could, I would like to, understandably so, if I have to go back, because it's expensive in this country for daycare. And we don't give women the maternity leave or men the paternity leave that that they should have, that other countries give to moms and dads in our situation. And new parents, just new parents in general, right? Yeah, to your point, I was actually going, I was thinking of that particularly with adoption is that it's not... I mean, in some ways, yes, it's absolutely about the fact that if you are a mother and you have given birth, there's that just entirety of the physical component as well as that bonding with your child. For a father, very similar. You know, I was actually watching an episode of a talk show that spoke to the fact that um, there's a guy, I think he has a, it's either a podcast or a blog, I think it's called The Daddy Chronicles, and normalizing the way that fathers feel in certain cases because you don't become a father until the baby is born or the baby arrives home. Because of that, you don't have that connection that a mother might have um, initially if she's the one who gave birth. And so allowing them the time they need to bond with a child as well. And then with adoption, I mean, you're you're completely uprooting a child from whatever the circumstances that they had. And in those situations, needing to really understand who you all are in your relationship dynamic with each other. So I think that's a really fair point. And a lot more companies now, I think, are advocating for longer parental leaves. I know for a fact that some of the tech companies do almost up to a year of maternity leave, which which is incredible. And I actually believe it was Ali Wong in one of her standups uh, says something about how it might have been in her standup or in an interview. And she mentioned just being a mom. And if you knew what childbirth was like, you would never ask a woman to go back no, to work that quickly. You wouldn't. And they were, uh, so I had two scheduled C sections. Both the boys are breech. So they were both head up. And, you know, the healing process from that is longer. Um, But natural births and, I mean, epidurals, anything like that, you're kind of all sorts of torn up and stitched up and you need time. You need time to get back to what your new normal is because your body's not going to ever necessarily be, look the same, feel the same. But And that's totally a whole side thing. But you need time to just be able to be a functioning human and not walk around wearing mesh underpants in your job. (laughs) We were (laughs) discussing the miracle of mesh underpants a few days ago. Mesh underpants are, if you haven't had a child, they are wonderful. And every woman that you know that has had a baby has worn mesh undies. Like when you see Kate Middleton standing outside the hospital holding her baby, I'm telling you right now, that girl had mesh underpants on under that dress. Like she did. Like there's no way she's wearing regular undies because we're all wearing the mesh underpants. And you steal them from the hospital and you wear them for a few (laughs) days after. And it's fine. You're all been there. It's great. But nobody tells you about this before you have a kid, I feel like. It is, there is a realness, I think, that has come to my own life from all of my friends and family having children recently, which is, they, for some reason, I think maybe people think because I'm not personally going to have a child, that it's okay to just be completely honest with me about the situation. So I feel like sometimes I find out 
the details that people don't want to tell anybody else who might be considering giving birth. They're like, there's no chance you're going to have a baby. Right. And I'm like, no, definitely not. And it's like, OK, you have to know how horrible this was because you need to, somebody needs to understand the experience. Yeah. But on, on the same hand, I think that people will tell you how hard it is, even if you have want to have a child or not. And you know, you think, oh, well, it was hard for her, but it'll be different for me. And it will. You know, everyone's experience is different, but everybody wears the mesh underpants. <laughs> is that the one common denominator? You're like, it doesn't matter what your birth plan was, but you're all wearing mesh underwear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I had a C-section, so I had no idea what was going on, you know, from the waist down. And I woke up in the middle of the night, like one of the in-between feeds and the nurses in there is like, can I change your uh, dressing? And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and there she is changing my mesh undies in the middle of the day, like evening, whatever. And I was like, OK, cool. This is happening. This is real life. Yeah. <laughs> so when you took on your role as a full time mom, did you feel supported by your family and friends or did you receive any criticism for making the choice to stay at home? Um, I felt supported. I feel like most people are like, oh, you're so lucky you can stay home. And I do know that I am lucky that I can stay home because not everyone can. But basically, also in the same hand, when you look at the cost of daycare, it was pretty much negating my salary at that point. Um, So it was like, well, do you work just to send uh, Derek to daycare or do you stay home so you could be with Derek? And I think what most of my um, family or friends kind of wonder and, you know, is once Will's in school, well, will you still stay home because you don't have the kids at home to look after? But, you know, you still, in my personal thoughts of it now, would probably be I would still, you know, have things I could do at home, pick them up from school, still be there for their activities and their events. And while it would be nice to go back to a job, I'm four years out of my job and I'm no longer really technically qualified to do anything, which is kind of hard to swallow. So it's really interesting that you say that. And I wanted to interject here, particularly because you just made that comment, which is the fact that you can become, unfortunately, obsolete if you are in a field that is very quick in the way that it advances. And so my mom was a stay at home mom when my sister and I were growing up until we were in, well, till I was, I think about 12 and in sixth grade. She previously had worked, uh, prior to my sister and I being born, as a media buyer all over the Northeast, Boston, New York. Um, She moved to Ohio with my dad. And then my sister and I were born, and she made the choice to stay at home. And so when she went back to work 14 years later, basically, 15 years later, media had changed significantly. Uh, You know, you're talking about the early 80s to almost 2000. Not to mention we were in the suburbs of Philadelphia and opportunity being what it was would be completely different from one of those other major metropolitan areas where she was working. And so she ended up taking a job doing clerical work for a law firm that was local and working part time. And to your point about still wanting to be available for after school activities, you think she was able to strike a pretty good balance with that. Well, I don't think she was passionate about that role. I think she did what needed to be done to make sure that our family had what we needed in addition to my dad's salary. But that decision to go back to work after so long and into a field where you don't really have any experience, I'm sure that that's a really heavy feeling to have where it's like, this is who I was and what I did prior to having children. I spent this amount of time with my children and I think there's a huge benefit to that. But then how do you kind of realign with yourself if you do decide either to go back to work or even just when your children are in school, aside from the things that you just need to do day to day, what is it that you're going to do to help make yourself feel fulfilled? Right, exactly. I I feel like it's, and I feel like for your mom too, like it's so hard and it must have been very hard because she was probably, you know, came from this media buying job and good at her job and good at what she did. And then you go into a job because it's still a job. Taking oh, it's 100% care of your kids. It's still a job. a job. But doing that doesn't give her any sort of credibility or qualify her to do anything when really what what is your mom doing every day? Running your house, getting people places on time. Like you're managing a house. Like you're doing things day to day, but it doesn't equate into anything in like it doesn't the translate world. it doesn't translate into a resume builder, right. which is the problem. Which is and, unfortunate. And so many women do get penalized for that, Mm -hmm. even if they have a a career where they are on maternity leave and want to come back, where I've witnessed it in several cases where people come back to a company and then it's like, well, your job has 
we've needed to fill in the blank while you've been out. And so this person's doing it now and we need to figure out what you're going to do. And I think that has to be really hard to understand that that's where your life takes a significant turn if it's not something that you can just jump back into. So, oh, go ahead. Sorry. And I just, I feel like that's so hard. And like, for me, like what I did, am I confident that I could probably step back into that role, take a couple days and be good at it again? Yeah, but they're not gonna just hire me off the streets anymore. I have four years out of that job. I And I would start at the bottom again. So I'd be working Christmas. I'd be working the major holidays. I'd work the bad shift that nobody wants and I'd miss things. I mean, my where I work and in my job, our shifts were 4 a.m. to 1 p.m., so that's what I had. There was a day shift, but that was like, you had to be the person who had the most seniority, be there the longest to get that, and that person had to leave for you to have that job. Yes. There was one There's in not my a lot field. of turnover. No, and then the other shift was 2 to 11 p.m. So, I mean, really, my shift was best for, I would say, a family, because I could be there for dinner, I could do that, but, you know, I'm not gonna walk in and go back to being, I was the senior director on my shift, you know? I not gonna walk back in and become the senior director on my shift day one. They're gonna be like, well, you left four years ago. You know, maybe we hire you back, maybe we don't, because also technology like your mom had changed. And I mean, it's been four years. There's gonna be new things that I don't know. And you know, it's one of those things. Well, that's what I did as my job. Do I go back and find a new job? Do I find a new purpose? And it's not a purpose type thing, but it's like, it's hard because it's like you do have to make a choice between like doing the stay-at-home mom thing or sticking with your career. And I think both is a hard choice. Um, and I don't necessarily know if anyone who does it ever feels, not that they made the right choice, but feels like they're 100% did. And I don't, I don't even want to say the right thing because working moms work hard, stay-at-home moms work hard, and and it's not easy. You well, know? I, think, I think the point you're making, right, is just in general, being a, a mother and being a parent is, is difficult. And I can't personally relate to that because I do not have children. I am the mother of three beautiful fur babies. And I that does and that doesn't qualify me for really much of anything by the way of childcare. But I do think that, you know, just understanding even with my sister being a first time mom these past um, couple of years, it's really acknowledging that level of effort and stress that goes into it when you are a working mom. You know, she's due for her second child and she's really concerned about how you balance all of it. And to your point, you're deciding to stay home for a couple of reasons. The cost of childcare is outrageous. So the more children that you have, the more it's kind of like, is it a wash if I work? It Does it make sense for me to work? Basically, it, this article that I read indicated that definitive changes occur in a baby's brain when there's a stay-at-home parent because this provides the baby with a sense of security which can ward off stress and this early sense of love and security has long-term cognitive impact which basically prepares babies for social interaction and gives them essentially this quote shield against negative self-thought that's not to say those things don't happen anyhow but it's just statistically more likely that they're going to have kind of these positive outcomes when you have a stay-at-home parent. As your boys are getting older, do you recognize these benefits when you're seeing them evolve, when they're confronting their own feelings or engaging in social situations? Because I imagine that you, being home for the last four years, do see some level of impact of your being there versus potentially what you see in other interactions where children may be potentially have both working parents like do you notice any sort of different dynamic and that's not to say just real quick because I don't want to criticize working parents at all I, I completely respect every every parent who's who's doing the best that they can it was it's more of do you personally feel like you've been able to see an evolution that is beneficial based on you being home not necessarily to compare it to a working what family? I would say is that I think they feel and you could see that they feel that they're safe and secure with us and like I am I am a constant, and when I'm removed, that's like hard for them. Um, but I think that's the same with every parent. Um, maybe as I get older, I would notice, but I can't say that like I walk on the playground and I'm like, well, Joey's mom, he works. You know, I don't see no, it no, like no. that. Yeah, yeah, no, I you hope, know, like you I mean, can't hope, pick it up like no, that. No, no, I hope not. Um, but I do think you could tell that they are uh, greatly attached to me, if that makes sense. We've actually 
talked about some extracurriculars that your your kids do. And one of the things that you told me about recently was baby Derek starting t-ball and him sort of having a bit of a meltdown when you weren't running the bases with him right like so yeah do you feel like that's an example of where that attachment became a little prohibitive for him and I mean obviously tried to work him out of that but was that sort of that feeling for him was that well my mom's not here now yeah I think that he's like uh, he's attached to me and I mean he's attached to Derek but Derek my big Derek leaves the house and he goes to his office and he goes on, you know, work trips and things like that. Like he's on a work, little work slash fun thing currently in California right now. And I'm the one that's here and I'm pretty much always the constant. And I think for him at T-Ball, he didn't know anybody, which is normal. You know, it was his first time, but he was like, well, why aren't you doing it with me? And I think that I'm trying to break him out of his shell, but he does feel more comfortable with me and adults. I think that that's the problem. Um, And not necessarily that's the problem, but I know when I first sent him, right before he he started school, he's four now, but he started school at three. And I sent him to a week of camp at his school. It was half day. Uh, just to like acclimate him to the the, like, the place and the, like some of the faces. And I remember him coming home and telling me I had to eat lunch with the other kids. And I said, okay, that's okay, Derek. And he's like, I wanted to eat lunch with the teachers. I told them you eat lunch with me. And I'm like, okay, Derek, <laughs> like you gotta like get used to being with other kids. Like that's what I was like, ugh, I know you hang out with adults all day. <laughs> so I was like, gosh, I gotta get him some like kids his age friends like he has my niece they're the same age but you know it's good to have other social interactions with humans of his age yeah that's I think that's really adorable though if I'm being completely honest I know that that's not something you necessarily want the trend to continue but it's like I just wanted to sit there and have an adult conversation (laughs) you know (laughs) he was like I told my teacher why aren't you eating lunch with me my mommy eats lunch with me so he is four now he just recently turned four and Will is two? He's a year and a half. He'll be two, end of January. You've had some practice. You're you're doing the thing. What do you think challenged you the most when you transitioned from being a mother of one to a mother of two? I think just um, in the beginning, it was separating like attention, like not sharing attention, but having to make a, like in my mind being like, okay, I've just spent all this time because I nursed both of them. So I just nursed Will and Derek was two and a half at the time and he every time I would go to breastfeed Will he wanted that attention and I don't know if it was because he was aware of what was happening and he was like okay well he's getting this attention and I want so I would make a very conscious effort to be like okay I just nursed Will so I'm gonna lay him down or put him in a swing and then we're gonna play and we're gonna have special time because I think it is hard especially when they're little uh, to go from being the center of everything to then having to split time and attention um and it was hard for Derek because, like I said, I had a C-section. Um, and baby Derek is, he's just a solid kid. I wouldn't, he's not fat. He's not like overweight. He's just solid. He's a bigger kid. Everyone thinks he's like five or six years old because he's taller than most four-year-olds and he's built. And so I wasn't allowed for six weeks to pick him up, to put him in his car seat, to put him in his crib. And he's two and a half. So that was very hard on him. Um, and I remember when I got cleared from my doctor. He came to the appointment with me and he said, can you pick me up now, mommy? And I said, yes. He goes, oh, I am so happy. And that was one of like the such sweet moments that you were like, oh my God, I am too. And I think that was the hardest thing for him was that that little switch and transition of, okay, first I'm only, not only am I sharing my uh, mom's attention and my dad's attention with this new strange baby that I don't know if I like yet or not, but also I couldn't do what I was doing for him before because I, like I said, I couldn't pick him up. I couldn't, like when he got hurt, I would have to say, okay, mommy's gonna go sit down and then you can climb on my lap and I will like comfort you, but I can't just pick you up and scoop you up and carry you away like I used to until I get cleared. Otherwise I'm gonna end up back in the hospital because I popped my incision. That's something I wouldn't have thought of honestly yeah. at all, particularly obviously because I, as I mentioned, I'm not a parent. <laughs> nor have I given birth. And I think that that's something that just even having that level of awareness and considering that element of attachment that we were talking about, how Mm -hmm. challenging that must be for a young child who really can't grasp why that is. Based on his reaction though, it sort of sounds like he understood well enough that he knew. He's like, oh sweet, we got cleared. Now you can pick me up again. Yeah, mom, yeah. I'm so happy. And it was hard and it wasn't like, it wasn't something that, 
when I was discussing with Big Derek, like, let's, you know, try for this second baby, that I ever even crossed my mind because it's not something with a first child that you have to really worry about because if you think about it, they're seven pounds. You could pick a seven-pound child up, and it's fine with your incision. But Derek was like a 35 40 pound, two and a half year old, he's a bigger kid. And I remember the nurse at my doctor's office casually picked Derek up at one of my appointments when I was like four weeks post-op and I was like, can I pick him up yet? And I was like, oh, she's picking him up. She's definitely like sizing up how like, how how heavy he's gonna be. And she's like, nope, still give it two weeks. So you're gonna pop in, his, like you're gonna be in the hospital. And then, then you're back at the beginning and yeah. that's not gonna be good for any of you. Yeah, that's... So fascinating to have that realization, not only as myself right now, but the fact that you sort of had that realization in real time as it's happening, like, oh, crap, I didn't even think about the fact that this was going to be limiting to the way that you could engage with Derek different than you have over the course of the last two and a half years. Like, that's a really significant change for both of you. I imagine for you, it was probably difficult to not be able to engage in that way and provide that level of affection and attention the way that he had become used to. Yeah, it was it was frustrating because and I was very fortunate. So Derek, big Derek works for himself. Um, He works. He owns a company with his brother and his father. Um, So he can kind of come and go not as he pleases, but he was able to for those six weeks when I needed help because Derek was still in a crib at two and a half. If he was a little older and he was in a bed, that might have been easier. But nap time, I couldn't put him in his bed and get him out of his bed. Um, So I was fortunate that he would be able to run home, (laughs) put him to nap, go back to work because he works pretty close to our house and then come back to get him out of bed. Um, Because otherwise, what would I have done? I guess he would have napped on the couch. That makes me wonder, though, you know. You know, parents who who don't have the option, if you're a s- single mother yeah. or your spouse works s- far enough away that they can't come home and help you, I mean, and you can't potentially afford to hire additional help, what do you actually do? This is raising a lot of questions for me <laughs> and also further confirming the fact that I think I'm <laughs> ill-qualified. <laughs> I'm ill-qualified to be a parent. I think you're I'm just a perfect Aunt Nikki. That's that, what you're good at. Thank and you. that's fine. And that's okay. And I think that's very mature to know that it's something that's not for you and be like, that's great. It's good for you, but it's not for me. I've always said that I never had the natural inclination just to be a mother. And I think a lot of people have that. And so for me, it's not even necessarily that I don't want children. I think it's more that I'm okay if I do or don't have a child in in my life as part of Holly's and my family. I do believe, though, that there is part of me that so very much loves the idea of having a family. And so to me, that's the dynamic that I go to. It's not I need to be pregnant. I need to give birth. I need to experience that miracle of making life. The narcissist in me wants a child that looks like me and maybe has some of my finer traits. But you also could carry a kid for nine months like me and people look at you and you're like, is this even your kid? And you're like, it is, I swear. I I, I cooked that kid for nine months. (laughs) That's mine, but they don't look like me at all. I get it. One of the things that I wanted to ask you that I think I got a little away from and I wanted to come back to was... So there are no doubt countless surprises as a first-time mom, let alone a first-time stay-at-home mom. And so I think one of those things that you mentioned spurred this thought, which is you knew what it was like to be a parent of one and then to have a second while you were still healing um, and not being able to engage with baby Derek as much as you had previously. Like, when you first had just Derek, what was one of your most challenging moments in those first few weeks being home as a new mom, just you and him? Probably, if not the sleeping, because he didn't sleep breastfeeding. And breastfeeding is one of those things where I wanted to do it, um, mainly because my mom did it. And I kind of just looked at everything. And I guess that's such a like a naive way to look at it. And I was like, well, my mom did it this way. So I'm going to do it this way, you know. But like I was dead set on I was going to have a natural birth because my mom had a natural birth. Well, joke's on me. My kid was breech. I found that out at 36 weeks. So at 36 weeks, that's when everything changed. And I was like, girl, you're having a C-section. Get over it. Um, And then breastfeeding. It's one of those things where it's like, okay, 
and I'm not I'm not a breast is best kind of person. I need to put that out there. If you formula feed your kid, that is absolutely fine and that is your choice and you need to do whatever is good for you and your baby because that is 100% the end of the story. As long as your kid is fed and you're happy and they're happy, that's all that matters. But I really wanted to breastfeed. And my sister having my niece three months prior, she told me how hard it was, but I don't think unless you're in it, you don't realize it. And I do know that there are these unicorn people who they're like, my baby latched and it was this wonderful experience. And you people are fantastic and more power to you, but my people are the people who cried and the people who suffered and the people whose nipples chapped and broke and bled. And that was the hardest part because for me, I was like, it, it, if this is so natural, as they call it, why is it so damn hard? You have to teach a newborn baby who literally knows nothing how to latch on. You don't know what you're doing. You're tired and everything hurts. And it, it was a struggle. And I remember crying every single time and crying to Derek and saying, it hurts so much, but I just don't want to give up. And I I know you used to play sports, you know, and I made it a competition with myself. And I'm good at that kind of thing because I used to play sports in high school. So in my mind, everyone told me if you could get it to six weeks, you've made it. It'll get better after six weeks. So I made a mark on a calendar and I was like, okay, I just have to get here. If I get to this point, I've done it and it should be easier. And I have to say it was, but honestly, it's hard. And if you are breastfeeding and you're listening to this and you're in week four and you want to give up, do it, do what? It's part of your sanity too. You have to do what's best for you, what's best for your kid. But if you want to challenge yourself to do it, which is what I made it for myself, it was a challenge. And I just kept going. And I was fortunate enough that I had enough, like oversupply of milk. So then that's the thing. And I didn't even know that until I took a breastfeeding class, you know, because what did I know about breastfeeding? So my sister and I actually went to a breastfeeding class together. And the teacher was quite funny because she she didn't know quite what to do with my sister and I because we went by ourselves and we figured why did do Big Derek and my brother-in-law Ken need to be there because we can go together. We're pregnant together. Like, you guys can stay home. We'll give you the cliff notes. You're not technically the people physically breastfeeding. Like, but you're, they're a part of it. They help you. You know, they look at your latch. You know, Derek would bring me water, but I'm the one physically doing it. But the teacher didn't know quite what to do with us. She asked at one point, are you guys together? <laughs> are you, are you have support at home? Like she was very much like trying to place, and I was like, this is my sister. And we are like, we're having babies at the same time. Yes, it's weird. So can um, I ask a question yeah. about that? Yeah. So speaking to the challenges of breastfeeding and that support that you have at home, you know, obviously, I know Big Derek is very active in the things that you're doing to raise your children. And you're saying, you know, yeah, he'll get you water or he'll do what he can to help. But what is it? Did you guys have kind of any experiences together through the course of those challenges of you going through this breastfeeding? Like, was it something that you're saying, you know, this is so hard, this is challenging? Like, what support was he able to offer you or was he even able to really offer you any productive support in those moments? I think that what we're both good at is not bullshitting each other <laughs> and um, being really real when the other person doesn't want to hear it and you're nursing and you have to keep nursing. Your nipples hurt, but you gotta keep putting that baby on your breast every two to three hours to nurse and they're cutting them up more every time and it hurts. So I got what you call a nipple shield. And it's like this little plastic thing that kind of goes over your nipple and so then it could help the baby. It doesn't hurt your, your nipple as much. Um, this is probably the most the word <laughs> nipple has been used yes. on any podcast ever. <laughs> if you want to talk breastfeeding, come talk to me. I have no problems and we're not shy about saying nipple. <laughs> but what Derek, so Derek is big on reading articles and he read a lot of things that said basically the issue. So Derek would nurse for a half an hour on each side. It was such a... Like I would be gone for an hour. I'd be like, all right, bye guys, I'm gonna go. Cause, I, and with my second, with Will, I didn't care where I nursed, when I nursed, whatever. I kind of just didn't have any more fucks left to give because I've done it before. And you know, you you don't care anymore. But the first one you're like, oh, I gotta go hide and figure this out. Yeah, I've heard it can be very isolating as well. It's lonely. Yeah. It is a very, very lonely time. And if you are a new mom and you're doing it right now, I get, I get that. My sister literally, when I met my niece for the first time, 
said to me, are you okay with me breastfeeding around you? Because otherwise I'm not going to really see you at all for this trip. And I said, no, that's fine. I mean, it is what it is. I'm not going to sit here and pass judgment on the fact that you need to feed your baby. I mean, full disclosure, I'm not going to be like actively like watching. Yeah. Like trying to be involved in this somehow. (laughs) But like, I definitely respect that that's what you need to do. And if your child's hungry, your child's hungry. So, I mean, I think that that's one of the things that became really fascinating to me was understanding how isolating and lonesome that can be even when you're in the same house as your spouse and I've actually because I moved to the west coast and a lot of my friends who've recently had children are still on the east coast I always offer to somebody who has a child who's potentially going to be up in the middle of the night like message me call me yeah whatever I don't care I'm awake so you've got three hours of my time while you're awake thinking nobody's awake and I feel so alone which is and I feel like is such a valuable thing for them to have um, because I, our friend Justine, our common friend Justine that Nikki and I have, uh, she is in the Coast Guard and she was in Alaska out on a boat when I first had Derek and up at random hours of the night and I would email her back and forth and I've told her and I don't necessarily know how much she understands, but I told her, you helped keep me sane in the middle of the night. Like you really, like it was something I looked forward to that I knew that like at 3 a.m. I was gonna get an email from Justine and I could email her back and there was someone else with me in this. But back to the, the nipple shield, Derek is the one who broke me of it. And he got really real with me and he was like, I read an article I think your feeds are taking so long because the article says that when they latch, there's like a saliva transfer between the nipple and them. And it like gives off all these like more, like it tells your body what they need. And he's like, I think if you break him of this nipple shield, because he wouldn't latch without the shield at that point. Yeah. It'll significantly cut the time down because he will be getting maybe more of what he needs. And if this article was any bit of truth, he was like, you should try it. Break him of the shield. And let's see what happens because it was it was an hour each feeding and it was ridiculous. So you say the ugliest things to your wife or your husband, whoever is that person for you when you have that baby, boyfriend, girlfriend, whoever it is. And I remember being like, fuck you. You don't know anything. You're not breastfeeding. I'm the one that's crying. But he was like, what is what do you have to lose trying it? And I was like, it hurts. <laughs> and it hurt really bad when I nursed him without. And he's like, yeah, but you're gonna nurse him for an hour every day and then he didn't sleep. So you'd nurse him for an hour, took an hour for him to fall asleep, you could sleep for an hour at night and then he woke up to eat again. So like, it was a terrible cycle. And so I begrudgingly gave in to his advice and I broke Derek of the nipple shield and it got better. But it was one of those moments where if he didn't tell me, you need to try this and I'm gonna be not mean but like blunt and I'm gonna say this is what I think you need to do I know I'm not the one breastfeeding but let's try this it might make it better for everyone I would have probably never broken him of the nipple shield and I maybe would have nursed him as long as I did or will you know I probably would have given up and and that's fine too if you want to give up but I think that him being very real with me in that moment was very much needed yeah absolutely and I think that sounds like big Derek is very informed and likes to be informed, which I think is a really great trait to have just as any individual in this circumstance, but especially as a male who who doesn't have the same physical relationship with the child and can't really grasp to your point. What does it feel like? How painful is it? Why are you struggling with these things? But I applaud your husband for really putting his desire to help you first in this situation and asking that question, well, what's the worst that happens, right? Is it going to be any worse than it is today? No, then why don't you just see? And so it's really awesome to hear that you have that level of support in your relationship because that's super important. And I think especially as a stay at home mom, where a lot of this is on you and the responsibility and the ownership during the day is you're the catch-all for everything. So the fact that he's contributing in a way that makes you feel supported and makes you feel understood despite the fact that he can't truly know what you're feeling is is really amazing and I think speaks a lot to the fact that you guys have a great relationship and he's somebody who truly cares about being a present and informed father in your children's lives, despite the fact that he's also working and that he has other things going on. So I think I think that's an amazing thing. I wanted to shift gears a little bit into um, 
kind of what's going on for you as a stay-at-home mom and the way that you feel about yourself given the circumstances. So you seem to have done a really great job balancing who you are as a person with who you are as a mom. I often refer to you as one of the most open-minded and progressive, but not in a radical way, mothers that I know. I say this because the conversations that we have are very candid and they're very open. And from really the beginning with your first son, Derek, he's been hell-bent on not cutting his hair as a, as a mild example. Like, he will not let you cut his hair. And You're only allowed to trim it. Yep. And so I think even though to some people that might feel like a relatively negligible thing, you're allowing him, and not even just allowing, you're supporting his choice to be who he wants to be within reasonable boundaries, right? Like, right. he's not trying to be, you know, committing crimes and doing all this crazy right. stuff. But and you have to wash your hair. Yeah, right. That's one battle we have. You have to wash the hair if you have the long hair. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? If you need to throw it in a pony. <laughs> That's fine. But he won't let us put it in man buns or ponytails. I have to be down. Um, he's like, he just looks like a little surfer. So He belongs in California. Hawaii. <laughs> he does. So... How do you feel that you're able to strike the balance between who you innately are as a person and who you are as a mother? Or do you even feel that that's something that you play with, that you really think about? Is this is me as me just being a parent? Or is it there's who I am and the way that I think about things and circumstantially you're going to shift gears a little bit to try to understand more about who your children want to be and pulling a little bit more away from what you might think had been the best way to do things or the way that you originally planned to do something. You know, I kind of, I'm just myself with them. Um, And I think that I kind of let them take a little bit of the lead, not like they're running wild, but you know, baby Derek really marches to his own drum. And I like that about him. And I think that's something that I learn from him every day just as much as I think he learns from me every day. And I think that I just, I don't know how else to mom than the way I do, if that makes sense. You know, I just, if, as long as he's not hurting himself or someone else, we're cool, you know? Do, have the long hair, you know, wear the Darth Vader costume to T-ball. That's cool, be that weird kid, I support you. Like, be who you wanna be, you're not hurting anybody, you're just making yourself happy. And I think that basically, like, I've, I've come to this whole thing that, like, everybody on this planet just wants to be happy. And I think we all just need to figure out, like, how do you let other people be happy without you forcing, what you think happy is on them you know like I don't have to make him feel a certain way to be happy he makes himself happy with you know being Darth Vader at t-ball like I said you make a really good point as a parent that I think feels a little this is probably why I said progressive because even though it's not radical and oh my gosh like this crazy idea that I would want my child to just be who they are and be happy it's not profound, so to speak. In in reality, I think it's just the way it should be because we're all individuals and we all want, to your point, to be happy to the best of our ability within reason. And I do think from a generational perspective, at least in my own experience, there has historically been more of a barrier to that because expectations are high both from a parental perspective and from our own perspective based on how we're raised. And so I wonder if part of the reason that that's the way that you parent is because there are things that you've experienced in your life that make you say, you know what, if I had a kid, I wouldn't want to do this or I would want to do this because this is what really ultimately matters. I think my... I think my parents uh, did a really good job with letting me and my sister kind of be, in a sense, who we wanted to be. I mean, obviously, they had their their thoughts about what our lives should be and could be and things like that. But, you know, my mom, uh, I was a four-year-old kid who only wanted to wear dresses to school. And my mom got a call from the school and they were like, she can't do that on gym days. And my mom's like, well, she's not going to put on pants, so I'll put on shorts under her dress and you're going to have to deal with it. And I think my mom kind of just, my mom and dad kind of always 
supported us in that way. And I think that, you know, um, you know, my grandparents were kind of like that too. Like my grandma and my grandpa were very warm and very welcoming and they pretty much, as long as you were a good person, they really didn't care beyond that. And not that they didn't care, but you know what I mean? Like be a good person and that's really all that it mattered. And I think that that's kind of what I try to take into what I'm doing with Derek. And in this society, in this world that we're in, I just really try to want to stress to him and, and Will that you got to be who you want to be and you got to be a good person because there are a lot of things that are happening in this world and in this society that I don't want you to see and grow up to be like, but I want you to be the positive change and I want you to accept people for who they are. I mean, that's the goal as a parent, that's right? That's the goal, right? Isn't the goal for everybody though, as a yeah. parent, as a person, like just be a nice person and live your best life. And I don't necessarily know how I got to this point in life or I just think this has just always been like kind of who I am and I don't really and I don't want to say I don't care who you are it's it, are you a good person can we have fun that's pretty much where I draw my like are we going to be friends kind yeah. of thing yeah, yeah I think that's something that is so profound and simple at the same time this idea that we actually can all get along if we if we try yeah. I do think that in a lot of ways that unconditional love and desire to let people be who they truly are is what will allow the world to kind of pull itself out of the dysfunction that's happening to the extent that it is now. And it sounds, as my mom would probably say, quote, hippy dippy to think of it this <laughs> right? way. But I also think that if you don't teach children love and kindness and to be who they are unapologetically, then you can miss out on some of the best potential also, you know? Oh my God, yeah. If you mute people from being the full extent of themselves, what could they have done if you didn't is sort of what yeah. I, th I think about. And we both know that there's no universally agreed upon definition of what it means to be a quote, good mom. It's safe to say that people have plenty of opinions on the matter. Social media has made that abundantly clear. Oh my God, yeah. There are enormous expectations from society, media, friends, and really pretty much anybody who can have an opinion on it about how mothers should be, and I use that term loosely, and many times these expectations result in what is very commonly referred to as mom guilt. So can you tell me a little bit about how mom guilt has shown up for you and what you do to combat those feelings when they start to become overwhelming? I think there's always been mom guilt, but I think it is just so much more magnified now with social media. Like I'm confident our moms had mom guilt, but our moms didn't have Facebook and our moms didn't have Pinterest and they didn't have Instagram and they didn't have this thing to compare themselves to. Like they can compare themselves to, you know, the moms at school and am I being good at the bake sale? Did I show up? Did I bake homemade cookies or buy them at ShopRite? You know, and I think that's always been a thing where moms just feel like maybe I'm not doing enough. And in the reality is your kid's not going to care if you brought cupcakes from ShopRite or at home, but you just have this like feeling of a failure if you're not the mom who like brought in the cute like thing. And I think it's kind of ridiculous, but I think it's hard not to get caught up in the mom guilt. Um, and I mean, I, my mom guilt, I leave my kids to go for a haircut and they cry and I feel bad. You know, I am going away for a couple of nights for a wedding for a friend to New Orleans coming up soon and, and I feel bad leaving them. But again, at the same time, they're being left with their grandparents. So it's not like they're just being abandoned. They're being sent to people who are gonna take care of them and love them for the time that I'm gone and I will come back. But you have this sense of like, I feel really bad for leaving them just for whatever reason. It's just like this strange, like guilty feeling that I shouldn't go and have fun aside from being with them. And I don't, I don't know why it is that way. And it's just so ridiculous. And then there's also just the Pinterest mom guilt. Like, oh, you know, did I, I didn't make their costume. I'm sorry, my kid wants to be Boba Fett for Halloween. I don't know if you know Star Wars, but it's a Star Wars character. He loves Star Wars. I can't make that. I am not that artistic. I can't sew. But you know, there are those moms who can and more power to you. But I know it's hard to not be like, I bought my costume. You know, I went to Target and bought it. And it's just, it's so silly. 
And I just try to remind myself and tell myself that when Derek and Will look back on their childhood, they're not going to be like, oh, well, you know, she didn't do this. She didn't do that. And they're going to more remember what I did do for them than I didn't do for them. Because I don't necessarily think I look back on my childhood and think my mom wasn't there for this. You know, I look back and I remember my mom was at every single swim meet I had in high school because my mom and dad were teachers. My dad coached, so he couldn't be at them, but he would be at the meets where we swam against each other, which was kind of fun. And, you know, they're there for you when they can be, and that's what I, and he would always tell me when he would coach me that he would have two hands going if I was in a race, and the hand in front was for me, and the one on the bottom was for his swimmer because he had to support them too, but he'd always want me to win. But it's hard. It's hard not to feel guilty, and it's hard not to feel like you're somehow screwing them up, but I think you just have to remind yourself that you're doing the best you can, and they don't care what the other kids are doing or getting because they're not really focused on that. I like that you made the comment about your parents being there and being there consistently. My parents were also there for almost every sporting event that I can think of for the duration of both mine and my sister's lives. And when you think about those moments where they weren't, it's fleeting. They're very small. And that might not be the case for everybody, but I think that also is one of the really big benefits of having a stay-at-home parent, especially when we were younger or somebody who was working part-time because they're if you had something that was after school and a game started at three or four, they could be there for you. Or, or my dad two would teachers. even... teachers, yeah. My yeah. parents were two teachers, so they were on the same kind of schedule that we were on. Yeah, exactly. And my dad would leave work early sometimes to the point that you made about Derek. Like, if he could be there, he would be there. And I think that that's just the thing that does matter to kids is that you recognize that the support is there because even though my mom made so many of my Halloween costumes, Ninja Turtle... Dolphin, <laughs> chimney sweep. <laughs> like, what was going through my brain? I have no idea. But the <laughs> the I ju- see pictures. <laughs> I'll 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 lend you the one of the dolphin and my sister dresses my dad. Um, <laughs> so so I think that while I look at that and I'm so glad and I think it's really cool that my mom put that effort and energy into it because she did know how to sew. Is that. I also think about the fact that she ran the book fair at our schools like every year that I've been or that I was in school and my sister was in school. And then at the same time, recognizing that she put so much of her life on hold to be able to even just do some things that you you start to really minimize the stuff like, well, were the were the cupcakes store-bought were they homemade like no kid is thinking about that they're like were there cupcakes was there frosting (laughs) yeah yeah exactly did you put icing on it what was the icing to cupcake ratio I really love that that's the way that you think about it as well because it is important and I think it's also important to reinforce those things that are important and make sure that your kids understand that the reason that you're doing these things is because you love them and you want to be there to support them and you want to be able to give them as much attention and affection as they need to make sure that they're secure with themselves as they're growing up. But I do think that there is a much different sense now as well of people within our age range, especially confronting some of those more intense feelings and trying to quote break the cycle of the way that maybe historically families have parented and making sure that you are being more open-minded and thinking more about that child's happiness than the way that things should be done. The thing that is interesting to me though is that with where we're at in society we are hearing a lot about mom guilt but not much about dad guilt. No. And that's not... It's all about mom. <laughs> right? And it's not to say it doesn't exist, especially in same-sex couples, right? Like, I mean, like, what if there's two men? And so I think even though we're in the midst of a mental shift as gender roles become less stringent, at the same time, it doesn't appear that way. Big Derek, who also runs his own company, makes this concerted effort to be part of the extracurriculars and bedtime routines that you have with your sons. Do you think he experiences dad guilt? And do you think he would ever entertain the idea of being a stay-at-home dad if he did say yes to that? 
do you think he could handle it? I think he he does experience a little dad guilt. So um, he does uh, this racing. He doesn't go very often, which he probably would want me to say. He goes, he likes to race slingshots in um, Pennsylvania. We live in Jersey. Uh, Right now he's actually in California for a little bit of a business slash trip where he's racing a car at Laguna Seca, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. I am not a car person, so. If I said it but wrong, you know, please quad, don't. I know quad axle low beds, though, so please come at me with your construction vehicles. All right? But, and I think he, like, he'll text me, I miss them already, I miss the boys. And I think when he races the slingshots, what's hard is he's there in the morning, but he leaves at like 2 p.m. and he's gone for the whole day. And the boys will be like, Where are you? They'll call him, try to call him for bedtime. Um, and I think he feels a little guilty, but I think. And I'm not saying that he's easy. He he could shake it off a little easier than I can. Whereas uh, when I think we're going on our little trip to New Orleans, I'm going to constantly be worried about what the boys are doing and where they are. And I think because he goes to work, he he's, doesn't do it as nearly as much as I will worry. Um, and no, I don't think, and he has said he would not want to reverse roles. Uh, and he wouldn't survive. He doesn't believe he would. He loves our kids dearly, but they're crazy. And and I mean, all kids are crazy. And it's some days are great. Some days, you know, we have a great time and there's no timeouts and we're having a blast. But we do timeouts. We have meltdowns, you know, and it happens. And it's not that he can't handle them, but he knows isn't as equipped he knows he wouldn't be able to sit through you know a tantrum of a half an hour or one kid crying and the other kid being fine and the other kid crying like and it's like one of those things where some days you have these perfect like instagram if you will days because you know nobody posts tantrums on the internet everyone's kid has tantrums and he would not handle them not that he doesn't because he's around when they have them but day in and day out 24 hours a day seven days not being off unless they're sleeping he would not be okay with that was that validating for you that he was like i couldn't i don't want to (laughs) i couldn't do this um a little bit, because he also, but then in the same turn, he was like, well, you couldn't do my job. And I was like, listen, if push comes to shove, something happens to you, I got to step in and run your company. I am not going to say that I would do it perfectly right at the beginning, but I would get the hang of it and it would be okay. And you'd have a better <laughs> shot at succeeding at that than like, he would you know, have used to right? <laughs> You know, I, I could figure it out. Okay, Jill. So one last question before we go on the important topic of self-care. As an adult and previously the child of a stay-at-home mom, as I mentioned, I now have a new respect for the level of energy, effort, and patience that goes into being home with your kids 24-7. In today's world where we're expected to be on all of the time, how do you make sure that you still find time for yourself? And what advice could you offer for new moms who may be having a hard time getting a minute to themselves? I would say that in the beginning, I had a very hard time personally asking for help. Um, from anyone. Uh, And I would say that while if you're a new mom, just if there's someone that you trust, ask for help. Um, A lot of people don't realize how hard it is if they don't have kids, so they're not going to come over and be like, hey, you look like you haven't showered in 10 days. Do you want me to like just sit with your little kid and you could go take a shower? Um, And I had a really hard time asking for help. Uh, And I I was fortunate that my mom and my sister at the time my sister was still on maternity leave they just kind of forced themselves on me uh, and showed up and would do my laundry and kind of things like that which was very helpful in the very beginning Uh, and that's amazing to have that type of support and to be able to be in proximity to your family who knows what you're going through and can help I mean having my sister be three months prior having my niece Natalie was really helpful Um, like even when we were talking about breastfeeding like it's very lonely but when we were together we could breastfeed together um, so you're sitting next to someone, and even if you're not talking because you're zoning out because it's just you're tired, it's there's some other human adult being that's next to you, and it's it was nice and it was nice to have. Uh, and I just think that like for myself now, what I, I try to just do little things. I'm not like a big like I'll paint. I like painting my own nails, um, so that's one thing I'll do. Like every now and then, I'll just sit down in my bathroom when the kids are asleep, and I and it's just I know people love going out and getting them done, but I just like the mindless like doing that like going through the motions and for me and for my mind like something little like tedious things like that helps me like kind of relax and de-stress and I know that's probably weird for some people no like that's why don't you just go get them done but 
that's always been like a thing where I just always found that comforting and like very like this is okay and I feel like and if you're a new mom like it's really okay to put your baby down and walk away for a minute and take a breath like they're not gonna go anywhere they're not mobile yet and that's a big thing to not realize you can't do or you can do until they're mobile and then you're like I should have done that (laughs) they they will be okay if you leave them on the ground on their little activity mat and take a second if you just need a breath for yourself and walk away get a drink of water and come back and then look you'll come back and the best part is they'll probably if they could smile at that point they'll smile at you and you'll be like oh my god I am the most important thing in this little person's life and that's so awesome that's one of the things I didn't realize with Derek. I think I just sat over him, making sure he was alive for so long, like worried that I was doing something wrong. But you're you're doing a great job. And if you're worried, I read something online that was like, if you're worried, if you're a good mom, you already are. So like, if you're worrying about being a good parent, you probably are a good parent because you're so concerned about doing everything right. But you're gonna make mistakes. I make them all the time. Uh, I apologize to my toddler now when I know I've done like, I shouldn't have done that, mommy, you had a rough day, I'm sorry. And I own up to it. And I think that's important for him to see that like, I'm not perfect, but we all have our days. And I think with self-care, like you just sometimes just a, a minute by yourself is very soothing. Uh, a cup of coffee in the morning by yourself. Like if your kids sleep, which mine don't, you could wake up earlier than them. Uh, my kids go to bed and that's my moment. And I sit down and I just kind of, have that time to myself to decompress uh, to just you know and I said that to Derek once and I said this probably sounds really terrible but I had like a really long day and it's like I've been touched by another person all day like another little human like and I just need a minute to not have someone like need me or need something from me or have their hands like in my hair or on my like you know what I mean and I feel like that sounded horrible coming out of my mouth in the moment but it's one of those very real things like you're constantly on And sometimes you just need a minute to not be. And I think it's okay. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you said that because it's incredibly important that anybody who has children is taking the time that they need for themselves so then they can be the best parents possible. Whether you work or you stay at home, what's really important is that you're managing your own health and well-being so you can give your all to your kids. Jill, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been really great having this chat with you and I can't wait for our listeners to hear it. Well, gang, that's all for this episode of the Who the Fuck podcast. Thanks for listening and a big thank you to Jill Silva for joining me today and talking about her experiences as a mom. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, or any of your other preferred podcast platforms. Visit whothefck.com and share your email address to receive important podcast updates, or if you're interested in being a guest, email me directly at nikki at whothefck.com. Until next time.